You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Verses 19 through 21. It's one of my favorite texts of scripture anywhere in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. He responds, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What a blessing. You know, I would, I don't know if I'd put it up right, you know, next to like John 3:16 or, you know, those kinds of verses of scripture, but it happens to be one of my favorite texts of scripture. We've all been in a bad situation before. Does rock bottom sound familiar? Perhaps you've even cried out for God to fix the problem. God is bigger than your worst mistake. Pastor Mike gives us one of his favorite texts of Scripture when Joseph, high in stature, remarks to his brothers the ultimate sovereignty of God. Today, perhaps you are going through the same struggle in life. Take a moment. To let your faith grow stronger in knowing that what the devil means for evil, God ultimately will turn to good. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 50 as he begins his message, God meant it for good. The text that we're going to be treating is found in Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. And the title is, God Meant It for Good. God Meant It for Good. So Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. So let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture, and then we'll ask God's blessing on the remainder of our time together as we uh, study the Word. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, that would be Jacob, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Remember, some 20 years ago, they sold him into slavery, right? This tremendous sibling rivalry that existed between the brothers. And Joseph was dad's favorite son. Remember, the coat of many colors represented him being dad's favorite. And so on one occasion, they had the opportunity... They dug a hole. They threw him into it. They were actually going to kill him. But rather than doing that, one of the older brothers interceded on behalf of Joseph. And there was this group of Ishmaelite traders that were heading down to Egypt. And thus they took Joseph, brought him along with them. And Joseph was sold on the slave block. He was purchased by a fellow whose name was Potiphar. You remember old Potiphar's wife? I don't want to rehearse all of what we've already talked about. I mean, we spent months going over Joseph's circumstances, situations, and 
and how God took all of those circumstances and situations and turned them around and used them for good. But you know what's interesting here? To date this particular text of scripture, it's probably been some 20 years since his brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. But notice their conscience is still pricking them. The Bible in the book of Romans, for example, tells us that the wages of sin is death. The fruit of sin is a guilty conscience. And I think that we should avoid sin at all costs. Some 20 years later, think about it, since they perpetrated this evil deed against their brother Joseph, and their conscience is still pricking them. And man, you know, truly, the wages of sin is death, folks, right? But nevertheless, let's go on here. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying... Now, this is the only place where this is mentioned, so it might be that the brothers are actually lying... They're fabricating this story just to save their own necks. But we'll get into some more of that in just a moment. Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Notice that. What does that suggest? You know, he's leaving judgment to God. And, uh, you know, that would serve us well to do likewise. You know, if anyone hurts us or slanders us or treats us in an unkind way, you know, don't retaliate. Don't trade evil for evil. Just commit yourself into the hands of him who judges righteously, as we are encouraged in the New Testament to do. And that's exactly what is being suggested here by Joseph. He says, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? So he was just going to slip it on over to the Lord. And I think it would serve all of us well to do likewise. No matter what the situation is in your life's experience, just slip it on over. That's one of the perks about being a child of God. It's one of the perks of giving our lives over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He takes control of that life. And that's what actually we're going to be talking about a lot. But anyway, verse 20, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones, and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together as we treat this text of Scripture, as we're moving towards the end of this series. And Lord, I pray that a special anointing and blessing, Father, would be upon it. Lord, that you put your hand on those needs and those areas of our lives that needed to be treated, Lord, and Just take this message and personalize it in each and every one of us. God, only you have the capacity to be able to do that. God, we thank you, Father. Now, Lord, settle our hearts. Help us to thoroughly enjoy the remainder of our time together as we just sit at your feet and learn of you. Father, we appeal to the great teacher who is the Holy Spirit to open up this text of Scripture to us and give us understanding. Father, we also pray that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be in operation during this teaching in the areas of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy. Lord, give us ears to hear. God, we thank you again. Now, Lord, let my words be your words. 
But we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Now, I want to begin this message by sharing with you a story. This is the story of an elderly minister to whom God gave the uncanny, wonderful capacity, ability to minister to the sick and the distressed of the members of his congregation. He had this old bookmark, and this is the way he went about it, by the way. He had this old bookmark that he carried along with him in his Bible. It was made of silk threads woven into a motto on the front side of the bookmark. The back of it, the back side of the bookmark, where the ends of the threads were knotted and tied, was ugly and tangled. So when he visited a home in which there was great trouble, sickness, calamity, whatever, where the believers were puzzled by what God was doing in their lives, or rather what God was allowing to go on in their lives, and you could probably relate to that, right? Sometimes it's hard to reconcile the things that are going on in our lives with the God who's supposed to supremely love us, and therefore we're bewildered over those things. Well, anyway, he would go into a home exactly like that, where people were confused about the different things that were going on in their lives, and he would show them this bookmark, first presenting the side with the tangle of threads. And so again, confused, befuddled, they would examine it in vain, but then he would turn it over to the front side, the beautiful colored threads against the white border and background where the motto that was inscribed on the bookmark read, God is love. And thus they would find encouragement in that. And if you think about this, and this is the reason why I've chosen to share this story with you, so it is in our own life's experience. We live through events that at times seem tangled, ugly, and meaningless. And again, as I mentioned before, it's hard to reconcile the things that are going on in our lives with the God who's supposed to supremely love us. But they appear that way only to us because we cannot see God's pattern. But when we see life from God's side, you know, when the bookmark is turned over, and then we see that motto, God is love, when we see life from God's side, from God's perspective, when we see the bigger picture, his message of love, beauty, and providence shines through. Have you ever had that kind of experience yourself? I'm sure that if given the opportunity, you'd be able to stand and share some things that, you know, you were confused, it was so dark, you were wondering how God could take something as dark as what you were going through at that time and turn it around and bring light out from it and use it for good and for blessing. Anybody? Of course, all of us. It's a pretty common experience, right, for the people of God. And so it was with Joseph, right? We've spent the last several months just considering Joseph and his life and his ministry and his calling. And so it was with Joseph. At times it was extremely dark, confusing, hopeless. But at the end, his life was rich. His life was blessed. Now, going back some, when Joseph's brothers had first come to Egypt to buy food, it's recorded for us in chapter 42, and Joseph had revealed himself to them, they were filled with fear. Remember, they went down to Egypt to buy food during the seven years of famine. 
And Joseph immediately recognized who they were, but he disguised himself. He was dressed in the Egyptian garb with all of the Egyptian makeup. Even the guys back then wore makeup, you know. And he spoke to his brothers through an interpreter, right, in their own language. And they didn't have a clue to who he was. But then finally, you know, giving them a bad time, messing around with them a little bit. He just couldn't contain himself, and then he reveals his true identity. And you can only imagine, these are the same guy who had betrayed him, threw him into the pit, who had conspired to kill him, and then ultimately he was sold into slavery by their hands, right? And they were just waiting for the axe to fall. You can only imagine the horror. But to their surprise, he dealt graciously with them and mercifully with them, right? And so after Joseph had revealed himself to them, they were filled with fear. They're in the hands of the powerful prime minister. Through an unusual series of circumstances, he's elevated to that position. Their hearts rightfully accusing them for what they had done to him. They thought Joseph would kill them. But instead, as I've already mentioned, they found him to be gracious and loving. And for the last 20 years, they also found themselves under his protection while they were there down in Egypt. But now their father Jacob had died, and their fear of reprisal is still with them. Notice there in verse 15, and they're really concerned about what's going to happen next. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. As I've already mentioned, you know, the wages of sin, the fruit of sin is death. You know, when we're convicted of our sin, when sin remains and we don't get rid of that sin, if we don't take the necessary steps in dealing with our sin, that sin has a habit of continuing to gnaw away at us. Isn't that true? They're 20 years later and they're still pricked in their conscience. They thought maybe dad's dead It's payback time. You know, maybe at least they're entertaining that thought, according to what's recorded there in verse 15. They thought maybe Joseph was waiting for dad to die, so to get even. And so they come with the argument, as I mentioned before, in verses 16 and 17, we don't even know if that was true or not. It's possibly that they fabricated that story. You know, dad said, you know, forgive us for what we did, and for his sake, forgive them. We don't even know if Jacob said that. We don't have any indication anywhere else in the scriptures. And then notice in verse 18, they they kneel before him. They humble themselves. In verse 18, we read, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, that is Joseph, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And once again, they find to their relief, they find to their surprise, that Joseph is entirely forgiving. Joseph reassures them, and thus what we have here is probably one of the greatest statements recorded for us anywhere in the scriptures, verses 19 through 21. It's one of my favorite texts of scripture anywhere in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. He responds, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What a blessing. You know, I would, I don't know if I'd put it up right, you know, next to like John 3.16 or, you know, those kinds of verses of scripture. 
but it happens to be one of my favorite texts of Scripture. Notice there in verse 20, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. Now, within that statement, I want to zero in on two little words, but God. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down, but God. Listen, those two words make all the difference in the world. I'll give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 5, and Paul there is addressing the subject of conversion, salvation, and God's love. It's actually a picture in contrast. He reminds us of what we were before Christ in our B.C. days, and now what we've become in Christ, right, after our conversion experience and coming to salvation through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, And you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That is spiritually dead. We've been made alive now unto the things of the Spirit, unto the things of God. Isn't that a blessing? Think about that. And that's exactly why a person needs to be born again, that we might be awakened to spiritual truths. Listen, if you make a connection, you sit in a service like this on a Sunday morning or whenever you come into the house of God, and you make a connection with whatever the preacher is preaching or you're driving in your car and you're listening to Chuck Smith on the radio or Greg Laurie or any of the guys that we're affiliated with, and you make a connection with that, the only explanation is to put God behind it. He's opened you up to spiritual things. You've been born again of the Spirit of God. It's an absolute necessity. You know, how is it that you put two people alongside of one another? Here's someone who's born again of the Spirit of God, who's had a conversion experience, who knows Christ as his personal Lord and Savior, and here's someone that that same person, who is the believer, brought along with them to the service. And they're sitting in that seat for the first time. They've never been exposed to Christianity. They've never even contemplated the idea that the teaching of the Word of God might even be relevant to life's experience. The one person who is the believer is soaking up the message like a sponge, and the other person is just going whoosh, right over there, whoosh, right over their head, whoosh, right over their head, right? How do you explain that? You have to put God behind it. It's a God thing. God intervened. God stepped in. Isn't that true of all of us who, in fact, have gone through that conversion experience? But this is what he's doing. He's made us alive to spiritual things in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Actually, we were meandering. It was sort of like hitting and missing, bouncing off of walls, right? There was no stability within our lives. Think about it. We went from one experience to another. You know, I think of my own life's experience and my pursuit to want to find the meaning to life and truth. And by the way, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. And that's one of the reasons why I'm entertaining teaching that book. Because, you know, the title of that series could be A Quest for Truth. And I think that's so very, very important. A Quest for Truth. And wasn't that Solomon's pursuit? So anyway, just a shout out for the book of Ecclesiastes. But in which you once walked according to the course of this world. We were meandering, bouncing off of the walls. In my pursuit to know the truth, I traveled many corridors, many roads, LSD, studying Hatha Yoga, studying under Swami Satchidananda, living in an ashram out in L.A., living in a commune up in the mountains in Santa Barbara. Oh, man, you know, lots of different roads, 
studying the Bhagavad Gita and, you know, just all kinds of things, Eastern thought, mysticism, and, you know, been there, done that, believe me. And I'm so thankful that God, in his mercy, I think he really knew my heart. Not that I think, I know he knew my heart. And it became his responsibility to reveal the truth to me. I was actually honestly seeking the truth, truly wanting to know God. And I believe that that was the, the very thing that moved the hand of God and his revealing his son Jesus Christ to me. But anyway, you can all relate to this. According to the prince of the power of the air. So who's the one that's pulling the strings? Who's the one that's banging the drums that we're marching to? It's the devil. The prince of the power of the air. That's just another way to describe who he is. The spirit who now works in the sense of not obedience, but disobedience. You see that? You know, people are taken captive at his will, the Bible tells us. Anyway, let's go on, verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. That's the way we lived our lives. It was just all about the lusts and the desires of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But thank God, verse 4. There you go. Who said that? You got it, man. I went a long way to make this point. But he's listening. But God. I'm so thankful. You should actually be sitting in the front row. Next time you come, make sure you sit in the front row. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Praise the Lord. And then verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead, in our trespasses and our sin, made us alive together. We've been born again, right? We've kicked into that third dimension, the dimension of the spirit. No longer are we just body and soul, but now we're body, soul, and spirit. More importantly, actually, invert that. Soul, spirit, and body last. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise the Lord, right? And so those two words, but God, make all the difference in the world. You see, God stepped in. God stepped into Joseph's life. And when God steps in, folks, guess what? He changes everything. Now, what were the things that God changed in Joseph's life? How did God turn those things around? Well, with Joseph, think about it. First of all, his brother's jealousy, their sibling rivalry, their hatred, their betrayal, his being sold into slavery, purchased by Potiphar. Potiphar's wife had longing eyes for Joseph, daily seeking to seduce him when he wouldn't give in. Finally, she claims that he attempted to rape her. He's falsely accused. He's falsely thrown into prison without a fair hearing. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. You've been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. We have so much available to you there, 
including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House with you.